And this morning, I had the great privilege to preach to you a message entitled, Jesus Triumphal Entry. Jesus Triumphal Entry. And this is going to be speaking about Jesus' entry into Jerusalem on the day that we call Palm Sunday. So we're going to be reading about and studying Palm Sunday and what the message was when Jesus had that triumphal entry and the crowds were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We're going to to have some biblical understanding as to what that means for us as believers today. So let's read that text, please. John chapter 12, beginning in verse 12. We're going to be reading through verse 19. John 12, 12. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he! who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. And his disciples did not understand that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. Excuse me. His disciples didn't understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. And verse 19, our old friends, the Pharisees. So the Pharisees said to one another, We're toast. It's the modern translation. You see? You see that you are gaining nothing? Look! The whole world, the whole world, the world has gone after him. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you give me grace to preach this message. Give my friends grace to hear it. Lord, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed are you, Jesus. You came in the name of the Lord. You came to save us. Come save us today. I don't speak of justification, for most of us have been justified, but Lord, I speak of sanctification. Come, come change us. Come open our eyes. Come illumine our hearts with this truth. In Jesus' name, amen. The History Channel aired a segment on 9-11 entitled, The Man Who Predicted 9-11. This hour-long presentation focused on one man by the name of Rick Rescorla. Long before September 11th, Rick Rescorla, the 62-year-old head of security at the Morgan Stanley Bank, predicted that Osama bin Laden would crash airplanes into the World Trade Center. You see, Rick was responsible for security at Morgan Stanley, and their offices were spread out all through the World Trade Centers. And Rick was convinced that Osama bin Laden would come up with the plan to crash aircraft into the World Trade Center. Therefore, Rick Rescorla spent years developing an elaborate plan of evacuation, which the employees of Morgan Stanley hated. They thought he was crazy. They thought he was crazy. Well, as we all know and just celebrated, on September 11, 2001, 
at 8.46 in the morning, American Airlines Flight 11 hit World Trade Center Tower number one. Now, Rick's employees were mostly in World Trade Center Tower number two and World Trade Center Tower five. But as soon as that first aircraft hit, Rick ignored building officials' advice to stay put and began the orderly evacuation of Morgan Stanley's 2,800 employees on 20 floors of World Trade Center Tower 2 and 1,000 employees in World Trade Center Tower 5. Rick Rescorla stood with a bullhorn reminding everyone to be proud to be American as he sang God Bless America and other songs over this bullhorn to help evacuees stay calm as they left the building. Rick had most of the Morgan Stanley's 2,800 employees, as well as people working on other floors of World Trade Center 2, safely out of the buildings by the time United Airlines Flight 175 hit World Trade Center number 2 at 9.07 a.m. After having reached safety with all of his flock, Rescorla turned and re-entered World Trade Center Tower number two. He was last seen heading up the stairs of the 10th floor as the tower collapsed. His remains have never been recovered, but you can be sure that the 2,800 Morgan Stanley employees who were in World Trade Center Tower number two have celebrated Rick Rescorla's sacrifice that gave them life. Now, Rick Rescorla He entered World Trade Center Tower number two to save people from physical death. But Jesus Christ, he entered Jerusalem to save us, you and me, from spiritual death and eternal destruction. Mr. Rescorla did not know that when he entered that tower, he would die. Jesus, he knew that when he entered Jerusalem, he would die for you and for me. And so just like those employees of Morgan Stanley celebrate Rick Rescorla's life, oh friends, how much more should we celebrate Jesus as our servant king? That is the message this morning. And I just want to say this to you. Number one, for some of you, this is a message of salvation. You don't know Jesus' sacrifice, not really. And so you don't celebrate it. So I pray God give you new life this morning. But probably for most of us, we get a little bit weary of celebrating. And my prayer is this morning, through this message, you would be encouraged to celebrate Jesus as your servant king afresh and anew. That rather than it being a burden and a chore, it would be a joy as we look back at what Jesus did. Okay? That's what I pray happens this morning. So looking at your notes, this very first point, celebrate Jesus. This is really the main point, celebrate Jesus. We want to celebrate Jesus as our servant king who entered Jerusalem to conquer sin and death and liberate our souls from bondage to both. If you look again at John 12, 12 and 13, you will see... That this crowd, says in 12, the next day the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. 
So they're there celebrating Jesus on the Sunday before Passover, what we would call Palm Sunday. And they came. Well, here's why they came. They came because they had heard or seen that Jesus had raised someone from the dead. If you skip real quickly to verses 17 and 18. Verses 17 and 18. And you'll see there that it says, verse 17 of John 12, the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. Verse 18. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard that he had done this sign. So they came believing that Jesus had the power over death. And they were right. Where they went wrong is, they then therefore hoped that this power over death would translate into a military power over the Romans and that Jesus would lead an insurrection to throw the Romans out and liberate Israel from political rule. Now now go back to verse 13. Let me prove this to you. Look at verse 13. What does it say there at the very beginning? It says, they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him. Okay, so are they going to beat the Romans to death with branches of palm trees? No. The branches were not a weapon. The branches were a symbol. Palm branches for the last 190 some years, ever since 164 B.C., when the Maccabees raised up in revolt and threw out the pagan leaders who had desecrated the Temple Mount and retook the Temple and rededicated it, ever since that time, for 194 years, the branches, the palm branch, was a symbol of Israeli nationalism. Kind of like in America, the eagle is our symbol of power and strength, or even better, have you ever watched the Olympics and one of our track guys wins a race? What's he do? He grabs a flag kind of drapes himself on the plane, runs around the track, and we all, USA, USA. Well, in that sense, as soon as the palm branches came out, everybody knew what was happening. Ooh, this has become a political rally. And they're looking around. Jesus is coming in. They're thinking, he's got power over death, then he must have power over the Romans. Now look at the next word there in chapter 12, verse 13. And what did they cry out? They had the palm branches, and what did they cry out? Hosanna! Hosanna! That is literally a, a Hebrew word that's been transliterated. So just take the Hebrew uh, 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 letters and just form them, and it's Hosanna. And what it literally means is, save us, we pray. As a matter of fact, if you have your Bible, turn quickly over to Psalm 118.25. Psalm 118. Verse 25, and I would encourage you to stick one finger or piece of paper in Psalm 118, 25, and keep the other finger or the other piece of paper in John 12, 12, because we're going to go back and forth to these two passages. While you're flipping, let me just say to you that Psalm 118 formed part of what is called the Halal Psalms. Halal Psalms. And what the Halal Psalms are, that word Halal just means praise. Okay? And so they were psalms that began with 113 all the way to 118. These halal psalms were, were psalms that the, the men of Israel would sing three times a year for sure as they were rising or walking up to the Temple Mount for one of the three great feasts of the year. 
That is why these words were so readily on their lips. They were probably had been singing them. Have you ever done that? Someone starts singing a song. Next thing you know, you're singing the song. Ah, why am I singing this stupid song? Joey, you started it. You know, yeah. You can't stop singing it all day. Well, for days they've been singing Psalms 113 to 118. So it was just on their lips. But then the Spirit of the Lord comes and it becomes prophetic. And listen to, listen to what it says in Psalm 118.25. Save us, we pray. The Hebrew there is Hosanna. That's the Hebrew. If you were to be able to read Hebrew. So what they're saying is save us, we pray. However, what they mean is save us physically from these stinking Romans. Boot them out. Jesus, Hosanna. So the political rally is heating up, man. Like if Romans are listening, they're not happy about this. They're not happy. And if it's a Roman who knows Jewish culture and speaks a little Hebrew, he's really not happy. Now look at the second part of verse 13. What else do they say? They say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. All right, go to Psalm, back to Psalm 118, 26. What does Psalm 118, 26 says? Exactly the same thing. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. (laughs) But you know what they're thinking? Blessed is the political military Messiah slash king who comes in the name of the Lord to kick these stinking pagans out of our country. And why do I say that? Because look what they finish with. Flip back to John 12, 13. How do they finish their chant? Even, even what? The king of Israel. Now, this king of Israel, that's not in the Psalms. That they added. That shows you their heart. Now, right at that point, the Romans could have rode in, killed them, and dispersed them. Dude, this is not just a political rally. This is revolt. This is revolt. This is, you know what? Caesar's not our king. This guy's our king. Hosanna, come save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord to deliver us. And he's even the king of Israel. The king of Israel. Yeah! What does Jesus do? What does Jesus do? What does Jesus do in the midst of this fervent political rally that sees Jesus as the king who would liberate them from political bondage? They see themselves as having the greatest need of political freedom. Jesus rides in. He says, you know what? You missed it. Your greatest need isn't to be set free from Roman occupation. Your greatest need is to be set free from sin's occupation in your life. You don't need freedom from Roman rule. You need freedom from sin's rule. And so what does he do? Look at verse 14 of John 12. He grabs a donkey. He grabs a donkey. And Jesus found a young donkey. And he sits on it. As it is written. And then Jesus quotes Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. So John 12, 15 is a quote of Zechariah 9, 9. And this is what Jesus says. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. What Jesus does here is he adjusts their wrong celebration of him as a military political king. And he says, no, I've come as a servant king. I'm your servant king. I come as a king in the, in the light of Zechariah 9.9. I come humble. I mean, anybody riding on a donkey is humble. I come in peace. Back then, if a king showed up at the gates of your city riding on a horse, you were in trouble because he came to conquer you. But if the king came riding on a donkey, you know what he came to do? He came in peace. He says, I want to make peace with you. 
Jesus comes as God in the flesh to make peace with you and me, not war. They mistakenly think he's come to make war with the Romans. He says, I've come to make peace between you and God. And they missed it. Do you miss it? Do you miss the fact that Jesus came to fulfill Scripture, not what you think you want? The Jews wanted one thing. Scripture said another. Jesus came to fulfill Scripture. He came to fulfill Zechariah 9.9. He came to fulfill the very Psalm 118 that they were singing. Now go back to Psalm 118. We've looked at verses 25 and 26. But, oh, friends, look at verse 27. And I think I have Psalm 118, verses 27 to 29 in your notes. By the way, we're under the second point now. This is where we're going to camp. Jesus is your, your servant king. You see, every Jewish man would be singing the halal. And he would be singing Psalms 113 to 118. And eventually he'd get to 118, verse 27. And he would be singing this to the Lord. The Lord is God. He has made his light to shine upon us. And then he would sing, particularly for Passover, as he was walking into the temple, he'd be singing, bind the festal sacrifice. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. And of course, what is he thinking? He's a Jew. It's Passover. He's thinking that lamb that we just bought last night. He's thinking, catch this, we're going to bind the animal Because how many of you know when you're about to kill an animal, they don't want to be killed? So to kill the animal, oftentimes you have to bind it. You have to bind it. You have to bind it. Every Jewish man in that temple that day, the whole crowd was singing Psalm 118.27. And they were thinking of a lamb, an animal. Everyone that is, except for one. Jesus was singing that song, thinking it wasn't a lamb that was going to be bound to an altar. It was going to be him who would bind himself to the cross to die for you and me. Jesus willingly went to the cross, unlike the animal that had to be bound before he was slaughtered. Jesus bound himself to the altar, to die for you and for me. Now, I've benefited so much from a meditation that my dear friend Wally Joyner gave me this week. You may not know this, but Wally just really has had physical problems for weeks now. And this week, they just took his gallbladder out. And uh, he's lying in bed. He's not feeling well. And we're talking about this passage. And, And I just want to share with you a meditation that Wally shared with me that I hope you find helpful. And as I share this meditation, take a look at Psalm 118, 27. I'm quoting from Wally now. I always think of the Lord Jesus singing these words in Psalm 118, verses 27 to 29. It is a festival song, a song leader calling the people to remember and reply to God's blessings on them, to remember their particular privileges as Israelites. Oh, yes, it is. And it's a psalm that calls us as Christians to remember and to celebrate. Verse 27, bind the festal sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. Here I see the tying down of the festal lamb on the day of atonement. And I hear Jesus singing these words. He's saying, bind me to the cross, Father. Everybody else is singing it thinking, I'm going to bind a lamb 
to the altar later this week. Jesus is singing and saying, Bind me to the cross, Dad. Oh man, worship him. Worship him. I'm fired up right now. Maybe it's from heaven, maybe it's from my soul, but worship him. Who else has ever said, bind me to the altar, and he could get off anytime he wanted to? The lamb had no choice. He's dumb and he's slow. I catch him, he's mine, he's toast. Every Passover. Jesus is smart and he's fast and he's powerful, and he said, bind me, Dad, for these. Young people, there's nothing you can live for bigger or better than this. There's no joy. Live for him, man. Live for him. Okay. Move on to verse 28. (laughs) Bind me, Father. (laughs) I may move on. Verse 28. Man, if if verse 27 doesn't move you, I pray it does. If you're in the back row, slouching down, playing with something, man, listen. Listen. This is real and right. All of heaven is worshiping him. All of, all of creation is worshiping One day, one day, the whole thing, the curtain's going to be pulled back, smoke's going to be blown away. This is the central point of history. This is the point that we live for. This is the one we worship. This is the one on the, that's on the throne, the lamb that was slain, the lion of the tribe of Judah, and he deserves your passionate, wholeheartedly, every dime you have, every brain cell you have, every strength you have, because he said, bind me, Dad, to the altar for you. And me, that should fire us up. If you don't know me, I I am loud and obnoxious. But I don't believe this is just me. I believe this is God. May may this ring through from every church in this city. My my good friends at Calvary Fellowship, may Bob Franquist preach this this morning. Dade Christian, Reformed Baptist Churches, Cornerstone Church. Presbyterian, Methodist, wherever, where the gospel's being preached this morning. May the Lamb of God be, be venerated and held up. And we, we say, oh, we, we come. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. May it bring you joy. May, may you wake up tomorrow morning and not say, ah, I got to worship God. But in a moment, you're going to see even further. May you wake up tomorrow morning saying, ah, Lamb of God, there you are. I barely see you through the fog of my selfishness. But, oh, Spirit of God, blow the fog away. There he is. And you said, bind me. And, oh, Lord, I bind myself to you by cords of love, your love. Draw me. Though my soul wants to crawl off the altar and do its own thing, bind me. Verse 28, Wally goes on. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. While he says, I see Jesus blessing the Father as he carries out his part of the atonement. It is one thing for believers to rejoice and to sing around the altar. It's quite another for the bound sacrifice on the cross to sing on the altar. I give thanks to you. I extol you. As he's bound, beaten, rejected, sacrificed. Dear friends, this is what the meaning of blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord carried that day. And the crowds missed it. They got it polar oppositely wrong. 180 degrees. 
instead of a, a warrior king come in to exercise his authority over Rome, Jesus came in as a servant king to give his life for you and for me. Not to deliver them from Roman occupation, but to deliver us from sin's occupation. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Israel missed that. Israel missed the entire suffering servant. Do you? Do you? Do you? How often we celebrate the wrong things about Jesus. How often we misunderstand him and try to use him to get what we want. In the crowd's case, it was political freedom. They had no desire to serve Jesus. They just wanted him to liberate them so they could do their own thing. In our case, it could be the same. Liberate my conscience from fearing hell so I could just live my own life, Lord. Come when I want, do what I want, give what I want, serve how I want. Perhaps it's emotional well-being some of you want from the Lord. Maybe some of you just want prosperity, peace. See, friend, when Jesus willingly went to the altar, he then says, after his resurrection, I want you now to come with me. And, 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 and we come to the altar, and for many of us, we come gladly until the difficulties begin. And then we kind of squirm and want to get off the altar and run. And, and the servant king bids us come because he bids us to die to our rebel kingdoms. And he calls us to deny our tendency for sinful independence. And he calls us to celebrate him as our servant king. And each of us has to take sides today, friends. There is no neutrality. You cannot serve two masters. Jesus is saying to us, all that the Father gives me, they'll come to me. I believe this morning that for some of you, there's a decision to be made. And that is, what or whom will you celebrate and serve? Will you celebrate yourself and the ruler of your life being yourself? Or will you celebrate this servant king as the ruler of your life? Is your life a celebration of Christ-centered godliness or self-centered worldliness? You can only serve one master. Who will it be? Jesus the servant king or your own selfish thing? Now, I pray the grace of Jesus binding himself to the altar is motivating you right now. But listen carefully, friend. Particularly, friend, if you don't know the Lord, listen carefully. Do not misinterpret Jesus' gentleness and his peacefulness now for weakness. Do not mistake him coming in on a donkey as being, well, foolish and weak. You see, his gentleness and peacefulness now is intended to bring you repentance. But if you refuse and mock this gentle servant king now, then you will soon face the warrior king on that day. Jesus came in peace on a donkey the first time. But the second time, 
He will come in war on a horse. Just jot this scripture down, please. Revelation, this is under point two, Jesus, your servant king. Revelation 19, 11 to 16. Revelation 19, 11 to 16. I just want to read it to you. Revelation 19, 11 to 16 says this. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. This is now describing Jesus. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. He judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, his blood. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him in right horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron, and he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, this servant king who ascended to his throne here on earth, a cross, and died and rose again and ascended to his throne in heaven, coming back as a warrior king. Pay attention. Bow low before the servant king. Do it now. Now, back to John 12, 19. From heaven, we now come back to earth. John 12, 19. Our friends, the Pharisees, bless their hearts. We are Pharisees. I'd be right there with them. You know me, I love politics. I'd be right in the middle of them. And these guys were very political. They thought they were toast. When they heard Hosanna... Even the king of Israel, they thought, they're closing us down now. The Romans are coming in. They're going to destroy the temple. I'm out of a job. What am I going to do? I do not make a good slave, a ro- good Roman slave. I'm a Pharisee. So what do they say to each other? They poke each other in the ribs and they say, great job, buddy. Verse 19. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see, you are gaining nothing. In other words, you're an idiot. This plan has not worked. Why? Look, the world has gone after him. Now, let's freeze the frame. Let's freeze the frame for a moment. Even though the crowds wrongly celebrated Jesus, they were celebrating Jesus. I mean, the cameras were focused on people shouting to the Lord. Catch this. Josephus, who is a Jewish historian, writing some 30 years later, estimated that Jerusalem that has a normal population of 100,000 people would swell to 2 million people. Don't you find this interesting? God brings the whole world to Jerusalem to watch Jesus' coronation on a cross. But they all missed it. But they were there. So, though the Pharisees were ignorant in what they said, what they said was true. Now let's take this and spin it forward. How is the whole world going to follow Jesus? This is how. They're going to follow Jesus not because he's a military political ruler that will impose his rule on them militarily or politically, but they're going to follow Jesus 
as the gospel is preached. Just jot this down. No time to go there, but jot this down. Matthew 28. Matthew 28 is going to show us how his rule is going to be established. And notice in Matthew 28, it says that Jesus says, Go and make disciples of all the nations. Go and make disciples of all the nations. That's in verse 19a. In other words, make those who will follow me. And then skipping forward to verse 20a, teaching them all that I command you. That is his rule over our lives. So spinning it forward, the nations will follow him because the nations will obey him. Not all the nations, but those whom God has chosen, his disciples, they will follow him. And what's really interesting is on that day in Jerusalem, on that Palm Sunday, there were people from all over the world. All the ethnos were there. Those two two million people, those Jews, were from every country in the then known world. In fact, next week, Corey is going to preach to you a wonderful message about Jesus. And he's going to talk to you about in verse 20. There were Greeks there who were so curious about Jesus that they came for Passover. So the whole world was there. The whole world was there. And you know what? The whole world is here. When I look at you, we have all the ethnos here. I mean, we're a small bunch. But we, got the, we got the ethnos here. Do you realize that the Pharisees' prediction has come true in you and me? Do you realize that as you bow your knee to the authority of Jesus, servant king, voluntarily believing him now before you can physically see him, but doing it because you know what's to come and you fear the Lord, you are the ethnos. You are the nations. And do you know that you're a part of an even bigger group of people? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Turn in Revelation 7. Turn in Revelation 7. Verse 9. Revelation 7, verse 9. While you're turning there, I want you to think about this. John the Evangelist wrote by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the very words of God, inspired by God, he wrote the Gospel of John that we've just been reading. Years later, John the Evangelist, who was exiled on an island called Patmos, because of his faith, he was being persecuted for the faith, wrote the book of Revelation by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And don't you know, when he wrote these words... 30, 40, 50 years later, don't you know, as an old man, don't you know he was thinking to what he experienced on that first Palm Sunday? Because read it with me, silently as I read it aloud. It's amazing what he writes there. It's amazing what the Father revealed to the Son. After this, I looked, this is John writing, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number. From every nation, from all tribes, and peoples, and languages, standing before the throne, and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes. And what did they have in their hands? Palm branches in their hands. And crying out with a loud voice. And what do they say? Hosanna! Not 
come save us, but you have saved us. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their face before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. What I want to say to you, dear Christian, dear young teen Christian, dear young single Christian, dear middle-aged Christian, dear old Christian, is tomorrow morning when you get up to worship God, you're not doing it alone. There's a heavenly host. Turn to Revelation 7 and let that energize your worship. And what I'm saying to you, dear unbelieving friend, come to the servant king now. See His sacrifice for you now. Worship Him now. Bow your knee now. Pay attention. Come to Him. Believe that He's your sacrifice. I beg you, begin worshiping Him now by faith. Because one day, the screens are going to be bust wide open. The heavens are going to be rent wide open. And we're going to see this like for real. And it's going to mesmerize us and, and it's going to be it's going to be worth it Michelle Cowart that you sacrificed and suffered and loved your son and as a single mom you worship him day in and day out and give gifts to people and bless people because you're extravagantly serving the savior the lamb who was slain it's worth it it's worth it it's worth it to be pure and righteous it's worth it to give your life for the Lord. It's not wasting it. It's worth it. There's more than just you trying to be a good boy. It's joining the heavenly choirs. Now that's my burden. I believe it's God's burden. Let's bow our head in prayer. If we could just be as still as possible, the worship team's going to join me, but, but if you could just be still for a moment. And listen. John Piper says, missions exists because worship doesn't. That's seen in Revelation 7. That's God's will. That every nation, every ethnos, every language, every tribe would gather around representative of all peoples. That doesn't mean every single individual, but all kinds of peoples. Oh Lord, right now we stand before you and I don't hear the heavenly choirs, but your word says they're there. If you should, if you should see fit to kill me anytime soon, <laughs> and I'd, I'd say it's your will, it's good. If I die... By your will. I know I'm going to see them. But I don't see them right now. Sometimes I get a little afraid about dying because there's doubt. I'm not sure they're quite sure they're there. And, and sometimes on a Monday or Tuesday morning, I really don't want to worship you. Because I'm just tied up in my kingdom. I just want to live for me. But Lord, this morning with my friends, I gather and I say, peel back the heavens. Let me see reality. So I don't follow after folly. I don't serve the clown king, Al. I serve the servant king, Jesus. Oh, Lord, I, I do, I do I want to serve you. And I pray my friends would want to serve you. And right now, I want to celebrate you extravagantly. So, Lord, I thank you for this song. 
that you saw fit to give us. Lord, I pray that you would give every one of us a vision of heaven.